It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Ali Mirza, He's the founder of Rose Garden Consulting, based in Atlanta. Ali, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So, take a minute, introduce yourself. Maybe tell us how you got started in sales. Uh, well, I, as you mentioned, I am the founder and president of Rose Garden Consulting. Um, I got started in sales like a lot of people did. I sold cars. Um, I, different than other people, sold cars for about three weeks. Uh, did not do very well at it, and shortly took a, or quickly took an exit out well, of sales. <laughs> wasn't very. There wasn't a very long trial period. No, yeah, no, and then that was it. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it was actually not until the following year when I truly got my start in sales, uh, and I was actually I was approached by a friend, a high school friend of mine, who was selling insurance, and then he asked me to join the company where he was selling insurance, and that's really how I got my start in sales because I was uh, tr- under the tutelage of a really good mentor and a really good. Uh, sales uh, sales manager who taught me quite a bit of what I know today and still use a lot of a lot of the same practices. So that's actually how I got started in sales. So, so what, type, what type of insurance? Uh, um, property and casualty, just a lot of uh, personal uh, insurance. So personal insurance. Yes, personal insurance. Yeah, personal life insurance, accident, sickness, all of that jazz. So were you following up leads? Were you generating your own business? What were you doing? Knocking on doors, cold calling. Cold calling. Oh yeah, I, I. If you want to put hair on your chest, you go cold calling. No, I've done much of it in my time. So, um, give us you know, an example of what you did. I mean, what's who are you calling on? How'd you get your list of names to call? Or are you just canvassing a neighborhood? Canvassing neighborhoods. So what we would do is uh, the type of uh, insurance that we were selling. It was supplemental insurance. So it was really um, catered towards self-employed people, people in, um, you know, what you would call back in the day, at least blue collar jobs. I'm not sure if that's appropriate anymore to say or not. Got so many rules. But so it was a lot of that. So what we would actually do is go out into the rural communities and sell to farmers and people in small towns and neighborhoods where you wouldn't have a lot of large uh, corporate uh, companies. So a lot of people did not have uh, insurance. So we would be selling them supplemental insurance to add on to the, and this, mind you, this is in Canada. So we already had, uh, you know, Canadian health benefits. Oh, this is in Canada. Okay. This is in Canada. Yeah, that's where I got you, my you left. Up. You left that part out that you're that, from yeah, Canada. I, I am. I, some, some people may pick it up in my accent. Apparently I have an accent. I don't Why don't say, say the word about. <laughs> about. No, no, you'd pass the test, huh? I, oh, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about progress? Progress? No, no, you said progress, not progress. Okay, all right, yeah. you pass. Okay, here we go. Awesome. Uh, yeah, no, so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's really what, what we would do is we'd go out into the rural communities and knock on, um, knock on farmers' doors, people in, uh, that look to be self-employed, you know, so someone would have like a large shed with a lot of tractors and whatnot sticking around. So that's where we would really start, and that's who our insurance was suited for. So... Tell us the best story you have coming out of calling on, let's say, a farmer. Okay, so, oh goodness, there's quite a few, but I would say probably the biggest win I ever got was the largest policy I ever wrote in one house um, was, I, th- I would say, 
probably plus or minus six to seven thousand dollars in annual premium to a husband and wife and his children. He was a farmer, but really the the key to the story is is when I wrote it. I wrote it. Uh, I got to his house at about eleven thirty at night, and eleven thirty at night. Eleven thirty at night, and that, I did not leave. Yeah, I did not leave until about one thirty once we were done. Because once you start selling that kind of those kinds of policies and and, and that number, the, the forms really start to add up. Why not? So you knocked on his door at eleven thirty at night. Uh, I knocked on his door. He, uh, his wife was in the house and he was out in the field. She directed me out into the field. Then this, this was earlier in the day. He was working. I walked out there. He said to come back at, uh, sundown cause he was working and he didn't want to break from the sure, field. Sure. So then I just went and canvassed the rest of the neighborhood. And eventually by the time that I had finished my last call prior to arriving there. It was probably about 9, 9.30, the sun was down, and then I drove around in circles for a really long time trying to find his house. So maybe not 11.30, maybe 11 to 11.30 was eventually when I got to, the, got to his yard, got to the farm. And I said, hey, you know what, I'm already out here. It was, it was an hour out of the town, that I, hour out of the city that I lived in, in the small town that I was in. So I said, you know what, I'm already out here. Might as well try. Knocked on his door. He's like, oh, I was waiting for you. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, and that, that, that should be a story to a lot of people is, you know, perseverance. Don't, don't give up just because you think, oh, shoot, I missed the window. Uh, try. Why, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember having to call a customer on New Year's or no, excuse me, Christmas Eve. Like, oh. like five o'clock on Christmas Eve at his house to uh, nail down an order that he had promised, which, uh, yeah, I wasn't happy about it. He really wasn't happy about it, but he, he, did, he did give me the order because he knew he had promised it. But nonetheless, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, yeah, I understand those uncomfortable moments. So, so how'd that get to, to the States? So, um, shortly after, or so maybe let backtrack a little bit. So I sold insurance for three years. I was a sales manager, led a team, and eventually got to a point where I really enjoyed what I did, but I did not enjoy the travel um, because it was a lot of traveling uh, by vehicle into small towns, and I just that that was that just really wasn't the life I wanted to live for the rest of my life. In which part of Canada were you? In, uh, I was right in the middle in the prairies in Winnipeg. Okay, got uh, it. So, yeah, so right above North Dakota. And so the, the, the running joke now for me is that um, because the Atlanta Thrashers... Were the Winnipeg Jets, yes. Are, yeah, now they're the Winnipeg Jets. So, the, so I always say, well, we made a trade. Atlanta got me. Uh, Winnipeg got the Thrashers. So I always say that Atlanta got the better end of that deal. Um, but probably, yeah. probably some people that agree with you, yeah. Uh, who knows, yeah. So, but um, yeah, so uh, eventually I just said, you know what, enough is enough. I can't keep driving around and traveling so much. So I took a little bit of time off and, and tried to figure out what is it that I really enjoyed about my job and what is it that I can really do. And from there, I figured out that it was the training aspect uh, figuring out new and creative ways of selling the same old um, insurance product that people, you know, people really don't want to talk about their death. People don't want to talk about getting sick, getting hospitalized, uh, having an accident. So how do you pitch that in a manner where you're not coming off all doom and gloom, but you're also, you know, you know, giving them the straight goods. You're not trying to create uh, and pretend like, oh, this is all this fantastic product. Because at the end of the day, it, it, you know, they're only going to cash it in, you know, if something bad was to happen. Well, I mean, a so, lot of salespeople listen to this show. So 
you know, put you on the spot a little bit. What was your cold open? So my cold, so I'd knock on the door and so you open the door and I'd instantly stick out my hand and say, hi, my name is Ali and you are. Now, if you shook my hand and said, oh, my name is Andy. And then I'd, I'd instantly know, okay, we bang, I can, I've got an opening. Now, if you don't sh- stick out your hand and shake my hand, which is, you know, I, I've been told, and I don't know how true this is, but that's the international gesture of friendliness. Someone's not willing to shake your hand more than likely. It's, it's quite the uphill battle. So right away, you can gauge it right away. Um, so you shake my hand and instantly I would say, I'm just in the neighborhood right now speaking to, I'm just in the neighbor, I'm just speaking to some of your neighbors. Uh, and would you agree with me that the Canadian government doesn't use, it doesn't take care of uh, Canadian families the way it once used to. And if you said yes, then I would simply respond with a, well, my company's actually found a way to uh, augment some of the costs that would be uh, associated with, God forbid, if you were to uh, become ill or sick or something to that effect, then I would say, would, you, would, I, would I be able to come inside and show you? I would point to their kitchen table or whatever table or basically inside. I'd look down and start to dust off my feet. You would have, you have no clue how many people would just get out of the way and let me into their homes right off of that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, cleaning your feet off on the welcome mat. Yeah. A way to get in the door. So, so draw an equivalent to that in business-to-business sales today. If you're out cold calling, you had a rep that was out call, cold calling, or you were out cold calling in a, you know, an office park somewhere, and you're knocking on door trying to get past a gatekeeper to see somebody, what, what would be the equivalent? So, it, today's offices are set up a little bit differently, but, okay, so... Okay, let's let's dial it back then. Okay, so we're, we're putting you to the test. We're putting you on the spot. Put me on the test. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of times when I'm cold calling businesses, I'll usually start it off with either an email, LinkedIn, or uh, or a phone call. It is tough to just bulldoze your way right past the gatekeeper, whoever it may be, uh, for for a variety of reasons. That being said. If you come in and, and let's just say you're already there, let's just say you had an appointment on the 13th floor and you know, there's somebody on the seventh floor, you're like, well, I'm already here, might as well. Go there uh, and just walk in and say, hey, my name's Ali, is Jameson. And if you do it with confidence, the person, the receptionist sitting at the desk, very well will just get, ah, let me go quickly take a look and bang. Do not introduce yourself, do not say anything because who, who introduces themselves? Salespeople. And who does not introduce themselves? People who have an appointment. And she may, uh, the, the person may then respond, oh, okay, who can I tell uh, is here? It's Ali. Don't say the company. Don't say anything. Again, if you, it's, it's that whole George Costanza thing that, you know, if the, you're not really lying when you take that lie detector test. You're not really lying if you believe it to be true. So if you are trying to instantly justify your presence for being there, um, instantly this individual, this gatekeeper is going to have their guard up. But if you come in with such confidence and say that, hey, I'm here to see Kevin. I'm here to see this particular individual. My name is Ali. You know, more than likely that person's going to say, uh, okay, just t- take a seat. Let me go quickly talk to Kevin. You take a seat and then they'll say, hey, uh, Kevin, Ali's here. He's, Kevin's going to look at his uh, day planner, his schedule and say, I don't have an Ali. Uh, what do you want? But right away, you're now having that engagement. Now, this and the, risk, the, the gatekeeper's not going to go back and forth and this, that, and the other. That's kind of a worst case scenario. More than likely, that person will come out or say, send, send Ali in. But you're now engaged in that discussion. And that way, if Kevin's not available, you just say, okay, can you let him know Ali stopped by? Uh, what's the best number to get a hold of uh, Kevin at? 
Now you more than likely will hopefully get either a direct line to Kevin or the gatekeeper now knows you by name, by face, so that when you call and say, hey, is Kevin there? Oh yeah, this is Ali. Okay, yeah. Hang on, let me patch you through. You're, you're, you're setting up those next steps. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. No, I'm, I'm just interested in the, uh, in the technique. So um, what in your mind is sort of the biggest challenge that sales reps face today? I, um, well, there's a whole host of them, but I think the choose, big, choose the biggest in your mind. The, the, the biggest, in my opinion, is, is action, activity. Um, not enough? Minutes, not enough. Not even close to enough. Um, I, if, if you were to have, uh, let's just say, 10 salespeople sitting in front of you and you looked at their outbox of how many cold emails or, or actually um, uh, revenue generating uh, emails that they've pushed out, you would be shocked as to the amount of time they actually spend selling versus doing any number of other things, whether it be following up on orders. And, and I mean, when I say following up on orders, I mean closed deals because pe- people like to do what's comfortable. If I send an email to a prospect that I've already closed, I've already picked up a check from, oh, they, they pat themselves on the back. I'm doing something good. I'm doing the after sales, which most salespeople don't do. And you know, they justify their own actions in that respect. But you're not filling your pipeline. You're not, you don't have enough deals coming through that pipeline because there's going to be people that fall off because they're just no longer interested, no longer need what, what it is that you're selling. There's going to be people that choose a competitor. There's going to be people that uh, shut down uh, their business and are no longer actively seeking. There's people that are cost is going to be an objection. There's going to be some people that, yeah, we'll take it, but we'll take it six months from now. You've got a whole host of reasons of why people are not going to buy versus the very few limited ones of why people are going to buy. So you really need to fill your pipeline because you need to understand just because you made five cold outreaches, that's probably going to translate to zero dollars. You need to make so many more. Um, you know, it's the Grand Cardone thing, 10 exit. I mean, you know, it sounds very simple and, and, and a little bit ludicrous based on how simple it is, but it's so true. Whatever it is that you want, multiply it by 10 because only then can you even hope to get to that, to, to your goal. So activity, I would have to say for sure, activity. And you work primarily with your clients and customers you work with are primarily small businesses and entrepreneurs? I would say, yeah, small businesses, entrepreneurs, small to medium-sized businesses. So. And so do you find this, because there are certain segments of the industry and the economy, certainly the tech business, a lot of sales automation and tools being brought to bear to really understand the data of what's taking place with sales. So there's you know, a lot of metrics and controls in place and so on. So you're, I suspect you're not seeing that the same way with your client base. Well, I, so being here in Atlanta and Atlanta's got a quite the, you know, recent tech boom. Um, there's a lot of tech startups and, 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 and there are, you know, some, you know, everyone's got a, an idea for an app, right? But I'm talking about some legitimate uh, startups that are actually, you know, whether they're solving a problem or not, they, they do have some, some legitimate funding behind them. And so I do see a lot of tech companies, they monitor, measure everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. And I'm, all, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. And the reason why I'm not a fan of that is, is very simple. You have all this information, too much information that you're now trying to decipher through and decode and trying to figure out what it means and you have absolutely no clue what it means because nine times out of ten you have people with uh, some sort of an engineering or a technical background that really truly don't understand what 
sales is and how to close a prospect, what that really looks like, what that full sales cycle should look like. And they think that because they're managing metrics and they've got all these fancy CRMs that are spitting back, you know, 30% this and 22% this and 19.9% this. What does that mean? How does that translate truly to money? And that is that, that there is that bridge that they cannot, uh, there's the gap that they cannot bridge. Okay. Well, that, all right. Now there's a lot of people obviously that would take a opposing point of view to that. To Absolutely. Say that, that, you know, the data, the data is the data. I mean, the, the data, the data, if to your point, I mean, it has to be interpreted. I mean, it's, but still nonetheless, being able to operate with data in hand as well as having no data in hand certainly Correct. gives you more ammunition. So, so, so let me dive a little bit deeper in that. So, so having data in hand is not a bad thing, but when your entire job becomes as, as whether it be a sales manager or a VP of sales and your entire job becomes deciphering and decoding that data without actually coming out with true actionable coaching advice to your, to your salespeople, uh, that's where the problem comes in. So sure. what ends up, so, so what ends up happening is you get this, in, the, you get this VP of sales or the sales manager, they sit down and they and they look at all this data. They've got 80 different, um, segments where, you know, they've got all this, these metrics that are reporting back to them and then they go and use that. And then they make many assumptions off of it. What, what are, what's one thing that data will never quantify and what data will never quantify is human emotion. And so they're taking the emotion right out of selling and that's what really gets people to act. So, so, so the best way I can describe it is, uh, you've got a 32% close ratio with one given script and then a 10% close ratio with another given script. And that's assuming all else, all environmental factors equal. Um, you, you're, the, the, the VP of sales will say, oh, well, use the first script because we've got a much higher close percentage on that, assuming you know, there was the same person delivering mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But what they're not looking at a lot of times is what market and what segment did we tailor this script to? What message did it actually communicate about our value that we provide? And a lot of them are using a one-size-fits-all script, or even if they've got a few different scripts, they're not tailored specifically to the vertical it is that they're, that they're attacking. All, and also within that vertical, uh, how are you now um, addressing the individual behind it? Because even if it's a B2B sale, who's actually making the, the, who's actually pulling that trigger to make that final buying decision? It's still a person. So you still need to speak to that person and on an emotional level and connect with them and, and emotionally uh, encourage them to make a decision and, and, and a positive decision, a positive one in your manner. So, so, so getting back to that, the, those metrics that I threw out there, the 30 and the 10, you know, you might've just, and I don't want to use the word lucky, but you might've just had, uh, the right script for that right vertical, but that doesn't mean that that's the right script for another vertical that you're now you know, that, that you're now going to go and attack. And so, what I'm seeing in a lot of these uh, SaaS models is they come up with these scripts. They've got the business development reps, and then they've got you know it's the whole predictable revenue. You break up the the sales cycle, and which you know to a certain extent it works. But then there's a lot of things that they're taking a for granted and making a lot of dangerous assumptions on a lot of things where they're not really fully aware as to, as to 
the actual reasoning behind it and and the way that they justify it well the data shows it well it's how you interpret that data and obviously there's always observational bias so where do you use data then where do you use data so for me, what I, where I would use the data is you have to break it down into the segments. So, uh, so, so, so when, I, when I create a sales process, the first thing that I would do is, okay, look at the vertical that we're going to go after. Then in that vertical, try and determine what type of decision makers we're going to encounter. Because a one-size-fits-all sales script will never work. Or, sorry, I shouldn't say it will never work. But it, it's, it's, you're not as well off if you, unless you have multiple different types of scripts that speak to different types of people. Mm -hmm. Now, at the end of the day, the value still, I mean, the value is the value that your solution provides. But at the end of the day, it still needs to be communicated appropriately to this person. And the, 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 again, the best way I can put that is you're going to speak to your mother one way versus the way you speak to your friends versus the way you speak to your wife versus the way you speak to somebody else, right? So it's not about being phony or about being disingenuous or, or, or putting on a facade. It's really about, okay, am I speaking to my mother? Am I speaking to my wife? Am I speaking to my friend, a colleague? Who am I speaking to? How do I need to address this person in order to evoke some sort of emotion in them. And that's where uh, the data will, will not tell them because they're not looking for that. So, so, so getting back to my point, create the, understand the vertical that you're, that you're targeting, create the personality profiles within that vertical. There's not just a user profile across the board as to what your solution is. See, as salespeople, we're very, or, or really as entrepreneurs or really any person of a particular craft, we look at everything as far as our product, our solution, our service, who uses our stuff. Really, the way we should be looking at it is who is making the buying decision based on our sales pitch. And at the end of the day, regard, and this is the, the, you know, the best thing that I can put it in, is very simple. If, uh, if, you, if your solution saves uh, someone on the shop floor uh, let's just say uh, it, it saves them some time or some, some sort of headache or some sort of aggravation in doing their job. Why does the CEO care? Right? So you need to put it in terms of why the CEO would care. Of course, at the end of the day, you have to communicate your value, your solution, but in terms of what the CEO needs. And again, those are going to be two completely different messages when you're, sh when you're pitching it to the, the shop foreman versus when you're pitching it to the CEO. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it, it does. I mean, I, I'm not sure I agree 100% with it, but, but I think that, that um, you know, one of the challenges that small businesses have when it comes to sales is that given the pace at which their buyers are evolving, yes, I understand and I agree 100% about emotions driving decisions, but when you look at how people gather information, buyers are more nimble these days than sellers are. And so... Some degree of automation, some degree of, of data has to creep into the sales process, even for small businesses. And I think they're the ones that I work with, that I talk to, you know, oftentimes are pretty far behind the curve when it comes to implementing even some of the basics of the sales stack that could help them do a better job of being more responsive to their customers, being more uh, able and being in a position to really provide the value to help them move through their buying process more quickly. So, so when you're working with clients, you know, what do you recommend they, they take on as sort of the beginning of their sales stack? So I don't want this to uh, sound like I'm against data. I'm, I'm absolutely for data. 
having data does help us. My, no, I understand your point uh, that people become too reliant on the data. Yes. But yeah. it's but by the same token, you know, there's in terms of segmenting messaging, I mean there's a lot happening in terms of account-based selling and account-based marketing that really and granted those have been around in one form or another for quite some time, but but you know, a refocus on that in terms of having your messaging be by segment, by customer, even by customer, individual prospect. Right. So then you could do the A B testing and it could be pretty effective. But but so when you're working with, with clients, as I said, you know, sort of behind the curve, oftentimes in terms of implementing the sales technologies that can help them, what are your recommendations in terms of how you know a small business, a solopreneur, you know, mid sized company, where do they start? I mean they we'll say CRM sort of the ante, we can sort of skip that. But right. once you get past the table stakes, what do you recommend? So I think a lot of it you have to look at who your previous buyers have been and why they've bought. So I think that that and I and and I think that in doing that, and you do have kind of a, um, a you know uh, uh, you know the hindsight is twenty twenty. So when you look back as to all the people that have bought in particular segments and particular verticals, and you can really drill down into what was it that made that that motivated them to motivated them to take action, and what was it that really uh, was the true value that they received out of it, and then from there circle back into what type of individual was that um, in, in that particular vertical because and 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 then so from there that's how you can create your messaging and the reason why that's so important is uh, you know everyone likes we all like to think that we're incredibly unique but at the end of the day we're, we all fit into one form of category or another and the way that I like to look at it is and this is not a hundred percent you know or foolproof, but at the end of the day, this will justify enough to create a process from, you know, people in particular verticals will fall into a certain buckets. And so let's just say if I'm working in the logistics uh, industry, there's probably going to be about three or four different types of personalities that are going to dominate in the, uh, in, in the logistics industry in, the, in that particular vertical that are the decision makers of the solution that I am selling. So dr- dr- derive it from there. That's the starting point. And then from there you go into it and then yes, you do the AB testing and yes, you, you keep track of your metrics. I'm absolutely in, in favor of that, but letting your metrics drive 100% of your decisions is what I am seeing. And that's what I'm trying to get people out of and trying to say that, Hey, well, look, you, you may not have closed that sale or you may have closed that sale, but you need to understand that that was what, you know, was, was an outlier. And, and should not be uh, considered because of X, Y, Z reason. And, you know, that could be emotion. That could be, you know, a, a, a perfect example, a client that I'm working with right now, uh, they get a lot of their sales from the government, from the federal government, who at year end need to run out their budgets. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if we were to take that into consideration, we would have such a, a, an absolute skewed um, you know, uh, we, we would basically have skewed results and then, and, and it would for us to base our, um, model and our process off of that, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And so that being said, now, when I, when I say something like that, people are like, well, yeah, of course that's the government and that, you know, they're buying for that one particular reason, but you would be surprised how often if we actually drill down into things, you know, there are reasons that people bought not because of the value that it is that you provided. It was for some other reason. One, once we remove that, that's how we're going to truly get to, to why did they buy and how can I now multiply this particular 
uh, situation and, and create a process from it. Okay. Good. All right. Good discussion. We're going to now go to the last segment of the show where I have some standard questions I ask all my guests. First one is, hypothetical scenario, you, Ali, have just been hired as a VP of sales at a company with sales have sort of stalled out. They want to get unstuck. The CEO's anxious to get things going. Now, I know turnaround can't happen in a day or two, but, but your first week on the job, what two things could you do that could have the biggest impact the, the, the so the first two the first two things I would do instantly would revolve around culture. The cultural shift is one of the biggest determinants as to uh, what sort of results you're going to produce. So the first actionable item is you know get everybody together and get a real understanding as to where the faults are and what is going wrong, and instantly plug that hole. And nine times out of ten. If you hear it enough times, that probably is the right thing. And, and, and it's so often, it's such a small fix um, where, it, you know, again, it's the, the, the owner or the CEO is just too close to the, to the trees to see the forest. So quickly plug that hole. And the number two, motivate people. How do we, you know, and as salespeople, there a lot of them are, they, at least they believe they're money-driven, commission-driven. And you can change a lot in the short term while you work on the long term fixes. In the short term, you can fix a lot by getting people re-engaged and having them understand what their commission schedule is and how do they maximize this week's commissions, this week's, this month's commissions, this quarter, month, week's bonuses. How, and, and if you can get everybody full of piss and vinegar that first week that you're there, you're going to be able to buy yourself some time. So culture is definitely the biggest thing. So those would be the first two actionable items that I would take. Okay, great. So now some rapid-fire questions. Give me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. And the first one is when you, Ali, are out selling your own services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? My most powerful sales attribute is I love to say that everyone's heard the old saying, those who cannot do teach, well, I actually put my money where my mouth is. I do sell for my clients, the ones that don't need a... Um, the, the ones that don't need a full full stack team, mm-hmm. I, I will come in and actually sell for them. So I do know how to close. Okay. So um, who's your sales role model? Sales role model. I would have to say it's Brian Tracy. That's that's really the person that I. That's really the individual that I learned a lot from. He just has this dad way of explaining things to you. I really just, it just resonates with me. Okay. Uh, one book that every salesperson should read. How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's not, it probably is not like a true sales book that's going to teach you how to close, but it's a people book. If you can learn how to speak to people and engage with people, uh, that's really where the trick or the key to sales is. Uh, if you can talk to people, yeah. you're good to go. I, I agree. Great book. So last question, what music's on your playlist these days? Music on my play. I, yeah, I've, uh, I really like that new version of Sound of Silence by Disturbed. I'm not, I'm not at all. <laughs> that, is, I, that is very good, by the way. I am not at all a rock guy, but when I heard that, I was like, man, that is a good song. So I, I'm really enjoying that. Now, did you go back and listen to the original Simon Garfunkel version? I, I love that one. I always have that one playing. I've got a, a, a nice playlist of music uh, that plays in the background all the time when I'm, uh, when I'm developing a process that is on there. I'm, uh, I'm actually a big hip hop. I, I really like Tupac, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you can't listen to that while you're building a process. I've got a lot of soothing music, which is actually Simon Garfunkel, Sound of Science, the original one, is on there. Okay, 
Well, that's, yeah, that's a contrast between two pockets. It's not a garbuckle, but I'm all but, over the place. Yeah, but that that disturbed version of, of sound silence quite good. All right, I enjoy it. Well, good, Ali. Thanks for joining me. Uh, tell people they can find out more about you. Uh, you can visit my website, uh, rosegardenconsulting.com. Facebook is uh, Rose Garden Consulting. Uh, Twitter handle is at RGC Sales. At RGC Sales. Okay, great. Well, again, thanks for joining me. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And the easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine. If you listen in your commute, in the gym, or make it part of your morning sales meeting, that way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Ali Mirza, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.